Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 42. So this week I'm tackling the either second or third story arc of the first run of Dr. Aphra comics. Now I say the second or third because the true second arc of Dr. Aphra is actually in the Screaming Citadel crossover, um, which I tackled in episode 36 of this show, it included Afro issues 7 and 8. So this one tackles issues 9 to 13, and the story arc is called Dr. Afra and the Enormous Prophet. So for clarity, in this one, I'm not only tackling issues 9 to 13, but I'm also tackling the Dr. Afra annual number 1. Now for clarity, if you buy the trade paperback version, or the second volume of Dr. Aphra, it'll include all of these stories, and this annual is like quite a big part, I'd say, in certain aspects of the story. So starting off, issue number 9 was released in July 2017, issue number 13 was released in October 2017, the annual was released in August 2017, and the trade paperback collection, which is volume 2, was released in February 2018. So Kieran Gillen actually wrote both the annual and also all of these issues too. Kieran Gillen is also the one who created Dr. Aphra and wrote all of the first run of the Darth Vader comics, which I've tackled all of those on this show as well. So for clarity, Mark Leming and Will Sliney are the two artists for the annual, and Jordan Boyd was the colorist. For issues 9 to 13, the penciler was Kev Walker, the inker was Mark Deering, and the colorist was Antonio Fabella. Now this is a cool story arc, and also it has Darth Vader in it, so who doesn't love it? Uh, and the annual focuses on Black Chrysanthemum, which is Dr. Aphra's sort of Wookiee companion, who's also kind of a bounty hunter as well, uh, kind of depending on what day you get him on. And just for clarity, in case you weren't aware, Wookiee, Chewbacca's a Wookiee. So Wookiees are already fearsome in itself, and Black Chrysanthemum is pretty terrifying. Uh, I do tackle some little bit of his origin in some ways uh, in the journals of old Ben Kenobi, which I tackled a few episodes ago, and and that shows how he got his scars and things, how he actually like had an interaction with Obi-Wan, and obviously it didn't go that well. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Aphra is, then you can check out a variety of different episodes that I've released. You can check out episode 30, where myself and Tony Farina of Indie Comic Spotlight, also found on the feed of Comics in Motion, we just talk about Dr. Aphra for a bit after Tony had read the Darth Vader comics and the first arc of the Aphra comics. Or alternatively, you can just listen to the first volume of the Dr. Aphra comics, which I tackled on episode 34, or you can go back and listen to some of my Darth Vader comics, which she features in. So let's start with the Dr. Aphra annual number one. Now, I actually only read this for the first time the other day because when I collected all the sort of Aphra comics and things, I didn't even know annuals were really a thing. Like I had a couple of trade paperbacks that had annuals in them, but I, I didn't really connect the dots. And because I wasn't avidly trying to connect every single Star Wars comic, I just didn't have the annual. So it's quite exciting for me to read this. So here is the opening crawl for the Dr. Aphra annual. It is a period of opportunity. In a galaxy oppressed by Imperial forces, there's little hope for the future. But for those operating on the fringes, there is potential for profit. Rogue archaeologist Chelly Afra 
has obtained and is trying to sell the Rohr Crystal. However, moving a relic like this can be tricky business. Luckily, she has just the crew to manage it, one of which is none other than Wookiee bounty hunter Black Chrysanthemum. Renowned and feared for strength and brutality, Black Chrysanthemum follows Aphra to make sure she doesn't renege on a massive amount of money she owes him, or her promise to help Chrysanthemum find the people who made him this way. So this all starts by saying years ago, and it's on Kashyyyk, which is the homeworld for the Wookiees. There's a bunch of Trandoshans who are basically trying to go and capture Wookiees to use them as slaves. In the Imperial era, Wookiees were used as slaves quite a lot. Because of their strength, resilience, and their age, it means that they can, I mean, think they live like 300 plus years. So they live for a very long time. And obviously, as you know from Chewbacca and the movies and things, he's very, very strong. So having slaves of that caliber to the Empire was a good resource, I suppose. Now, Trandoshans were often slavers. Trandoshans, the most famous one would be Bosk. He's the bounty hunter you see in Empire Strikes Back, and he's also featuring in the bounty hunter comics at the moment. I think Bosk also appears in the Clone Wars uh, series as well, but there's a whole episode on the slavers. In fact, in season three, episodes 21 and 22, Ahsoka Tano meets Chewbacca because Chewbacca and Ahsoka both get captured by these Trandoshans who are basically trying to do this big hunt. So Trandoshans, they're basically humanoid lizard people. They generally hate Wookiees because Wookiees, it's not exactly clear why in canon, but it seems to be generally that Wookiees are the only species of humanoid beings in the galaxy that can really match Trandoshans for both their speed, agility, and also their strength. You know, there are other creatures that are bigger, that are stronger and things like a Dewantin, but those sort of things are generally a little bit slower. So Trandoshans and Wookiees basically butt heads quite a lot, and then when the Empire needed Wookiees as slaves, the Trandoshans had a field day. They also hail something called the Scorekeeper, which is their kind of view of a god in that sort of way that, yeah, as you say, they, they, they cherish something called the Hunt, which is in the Clone Wars uh, episodes, and it kind of goes into a little bit more depth about it there. So anyway, back on Kashyyyk, so these Trandoshans are trying to capture Wookiees and things. They come across a slumped over Black Chrysanthemum and things, make some sort of comment, and then an explosion goes off, there's opening fire and things, and then it basically seems to be a trap. Black Chrysanthemum manages to actually get one of the Trandoshans to himself, basically speaks to him, and it turns out that he allows him to live because he knows the Zonti brothers. It cuts to now, and this Trandoshan who um, Black Chrysanthemum spoke to is basically talking to two people who are journalists. One's called Dixnet, and one's called Domthrow. I'm going to refer to them as D&D because it's a little bit easier. D&D um, &D basically want to meet Black Chrysanthemum and then they end up meeting Dr. Aphra and the crew, which is, you know, triple zero and BT1. As I said, D&D &D are journalists and they post on something called the Undervine. Now, there's something called the Holonet in Star Wars and it's kind of like the internet and mainstream news in some ways. You can watch stuff on there, but you can also look up information. Now, the Undervine is basically the underground alternative version of the Holonet and it is also anonymous. Now, the Holonet is mentioned a lot in Star Wars canon everywhere. I think it's in Legends of Fairmount as well. The Undervine hasn't been mentioned as much in canon. It's still quite a cool idea though. I'd almost say in some ways it's kind of like the dark web, but the dark web is often used for very nefarious things. I'm not saying the Undervine isn't, but we just don't know enough about the Undervine in canon. So anyway, they ask Black Chrysanthemum why he hates the Zonti brothers so much. And he, he basically said that he volunteered to work for them. And he ends up having to do lots and lots of training for them. So they, he ends up hiking, doing these crazy obstacle courses with like sharp blades and things like that, fighting some of the other people being trained up. They end up having to try and defeat a Sarlacc. Um, there's like sword fighting and things. It's a really cool sort of few panels to see all the stuff going on. 
Then the Zonti brothers discuss enhancing Black Chrysanthemum cybernetically. So they put him under and they basically give him permanent knuckle dusters. So essentially they basically case his bone of his hands in a very strong metal so that when he punches it's even more strong than it normally is, which is insane. Also in that little thing they mentioned Silo, I thought it was quite a nice little nod because Silo was like the main antagonist in the sort of Darth Vader run set before this. So the Zonti brothers, they basically are guys who, they have these fighting pits or arenas or however you want to kind of put it. They basically get people to pay them money to watch people fight pretty much to the death in these pits that they have. And they capture people and then just force them to do it. And that's essentially what their business model is. So Black Crescenta, when he's in here, he ends up fighting with a Dowatin, which I mentioned slightly earlier, and that was intentional. Um, a Dowatin, the most famous Dowatin you'd know, that they're really, really big creatures. They've got like horns coming out of their chins. They are massive. Um, if anyone's played Jedi Fallen Order, there is a character called the Ninth Sister, and she's also appears in the second run of Darth Vader comics, which I have not yet tackled. But she's one of the sort of bosses in Jedi Fallen Order. She's not the human one that you fight. She's with the other one that you fight, and there's also one that if you haven't played that game, you still would have seen them because they are in the films a little bit. And in The Force Awakens, in Maz Kanata's palace, you get a character called Grumgar. And he is basically sat on this big chair. And there's this woman who's dressed in a lot of black and has a fair amount of black makeup on. And then when it is mentioned that BB-8 has seen things, this woman gets up and then contacts the First Order to let them know that they're there on Takodana, which is where Maz Kanata's palace is. So you would have probably seen him maybe without noticing Grumgar. And just for clarity, they are they grow for hundreds of years old and they are from the planet Dowat. So it's a pretty big adversary and Black Crescentin beats him up quite badly. Um, and as I said, it kind of goes backwards and forwards in this comic. So obviously all the stuff I just mentioned about Black Crescentin um, with the Zonti brothers getting knuckle dusters, etc. That was all sort of in the past. It's him telling D&D about this stuff. So while this is all going on, Aphra sneakily slices um, D&D's ship and then basically sets out a, a beacon. There's then another flashback and Black Crescentin kills three people in the pit and there's one scene where he crushes a Trandoshan skull. Now that is one of the parts that I have taken a photo of and just for clarity, if you go on Instagram or Facebook and go to at Genuine Chit Chat, I take photos of all the covers of the comics that I tackle as well as the opening crawls for the ones and also what I've started doing as well is taking photos I try to take one photo from each comic so you get to see generally what it's like and this is one of the photos I specifically took. So in this fighting pit, after Black Crescentum basically kills these three people, he then holds up one more species, which is a Ricto, and he basically yells out saying that, you know, all hell Black Crescentum and things, trying to like, he's got that showmanship element. And if you want to know about a Ricto, I tackled that in the last episode, so check that out. So then it comes back to D&D speaking with Black Crescentin um, aboard their ship and things. And this is just a back and forth between them. I say it's a back and forth. Everything Black Crescentin says is in Shriwook. And Shriwook is not something that is written in the comics like other languages are, like Arabesh, for example. And so it's just in roars and things like that. So you only know what Black Crescentin is saying by the responses from D&D. So the woman, Dixnet, says, You volunteered, didn't realize what you were getting into, and now you want revenge for your own arrogant mistake. And Domthro says, I think you should be politer to the killer Wookiee dicks. And she says, you volunteered, didn't realise what you were getting into, and now you want revenge for your own arrogant mistake. Sir, that was politer. And the guy says, my colleague doesn't quite understand delicacy. Let me rephrase her. And then Black Crescentin roars at them. He then talks to them a little bit, and then suddenly Domthro decides, we should go. He walks off, they get to Afra, and then she was like, oh, does it go well? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're fantastic, we're just leaving quickly for absolutely no reason. And then it cuts to sort of on D&D's ship, and 
Dixner says to Dom Thoreau, so what did he say? And he says, revenge is an oversimplification. The brothers changed his life, so he owes them a life debt. However, he was never able to pay them back. Until he changes their lives in a similar way that they changed his, he will always owe them. It is not revenge. It is simply that all deaths must be settled. And when he's free from that, he'll be able to come and peel loud-mouthed wordsmiths. And she says, he means us. And he says, he means you. And that's generally the end of their sort of uh, interaction. And then they also notice that there was a message broadcast from the D&D ship, something about some sort of rare artifact auction. And the Royal Crystal is also mentioned. And then Black Chrysanthemum is nostalgic. So he goes back to the fighting pits just for one last fight for some reason and presumably wins. And that's where that comic ends. So I just want to clarify, this is a good comic to read if you want to get more information about Black Chrysanthemum because it's quite an interesting character. But it is essentially the Zonti brothers borderline tortured him and took him to the brink, making him fight and be brutal and all that sort of other things. And although they did ruin his life, he did kind of volunteer for it. And therefore he wants to kind of half pay them back. And at the very end of all of this, you get a little bit more information. So that brings us to the main run of Dr. Afro comics then. So this is issue number nine. I'm going to read out the crawl for this one as well, but I'm not going to read out the other crawls for the other comics because they're all incredibly similar. So. Rogue archaeologist Chelly Afra briefly teamed up with Luke Skywalker and his friends to reactivate the Rua Crystal, an artifact with the consciousness of an ancient Jedi. But when that endeavour led them to escaping only due to Luke's affinity with the Force, they decide it's best to go their separate ways. Now, still in possession of the newly reactivated Rua Crystal, it's time to get back to what Afra does best. Get rich or die trying. So I just want to say as well, with this comic cover, number nine, you'll be able to see on Instagram, Facebook and stuff, it looks like, and this intentionally, it's like a homage to Princess Leia because Dr. Aphra is wearing something very similar to Princess Leia and then she's got Black Chrysanthemum next to her that looks a lot like Chewie and then Triple Zero and BT1 next to her, which obviously look like C-3PO and R2-D2. So I thought that was a nice touch and it's worth checking that out too. I also want to say that these comics, they're quite insular. So this whole arc all happens in the space of like an hour or two in one location. It's a really cool arc and it's very funny and there's a lot of clever sort of dialogue bits in it and visually it looks incredible. So although I'm going to be running through the story sort of narrative wise, I'm going to give you a few connections and things like that. I would say that this is a really, really good Afro comic to pick up. And especially if you want to kind of get into the world of Dr. Afro and the first Darth Vader comics didn't really turn you, Darth Vader does appear in this comic run as well. And when he's in it, it's amazing because obviously Vader pretty much always steals the show. So with that all in mind, let's get to it. So it starts with in an isolated abandoned lab in the Outer Rim, Aphra basically reawakens Rur. She's got his crystal into this special place that's controlling him using chemicals and things, not via electronics, because Rur has something called technopathy, and it's basically the ability to control technology. So it's like, you know, psychopathy, being a psychopath mixed with technology is clever, but it's basically the ability to command all technology and things. So she puts him into this special casing thing and puts controls on it so that he can't actually do anything. So then it goes on to a place called the Sorka Retreat, and it's basically this smallish space station thing. I say small, it's small compared to like gigantic things like that, but it's like there's one main giant room and it's kind of, it's called the Sorka Retreat, so I think it's kind of there for like a holiday destination-y sort of thing. There's domes in there with like grass and whatever that looks out into space, which is very pretty, but it mainly takes place in this one sort of big room. So the Pride of Sontul arrive. This is a gang of Rodians. Now, 
These are actually mentioned, I had to look this up, in the Darth Vader issue number 7 of the first run. Essentially, in the Darth Vader comics, there's the arc where Vader steals loads of credits from people of the underworld, and then Afro orchestrates stealing them off Vader, essentially, and then Vader keeps those credits that she stole because she gives them to him, so it looks like the Empire had the credits stolen, but in reality, Afro stole them, who gives them to Vader so he can then fund his own sort of private army while he's vaguely trying to sort of undermine Palpatine. So, when Vader steals some of the credits, the Sontal Pride are actually one of the gangs that he steals a lot of credits for. And in fact, the main sort of leader of the Sontal Pride is a guy called Yonak, and he's a Rodian who has got a mechanical eye, or robotic eye, however you want to call it. And Yonak's dad tries to unleash this beast onto Vader, and the beast kills Yonak's dad first, and then Vader does dispose of the beast. And also for clarity, Vader gives the contraband and the territory to Sutha the Hutt, which is, you know, related to Jabba the Hutt, and Sutha helps Jabba's empire sort of expand and things. But yeah, Vader gives the contraband territory to the Hutts, so that the idea is that the empire starts to organise the criminals in a sense. They basically take out a lot of the smaller sects, allow the Hutts and certain other bigger crime families to kind of widen, but then the empire basically control these crime families. So they essentially control not only all organized crime, but also the galaxy at large. And just for clarity, Rodians, uh, the Greedo is a Rodian, he's probably the most famous one, so they're just green-looking humanoids with quite big eyes, no noses, and antenna. That's what a Rodian is. So there's a big gathering on the Sorka retreat, and Sutha, the Hut, and Yonak bicker a lot, and you know, Sutha mentions the fact that Yonak's had a lot of his fortune stolen, she's surprised he could even afford things, and that's, you know, a callback to that Vader comic I mentioned. So Afra talks to the whole crowd after she kind of settles everyone down and talks to them about Rur's capabilities. Um, she has control on them and basically tests them on a droid. So she allows a tiny amount of the technopathy to come out. It infects like a nearby droid and then Black Chrysanthemum shoots that nearby droid in the head and then Afra sort of stops all the controls and things. She also shows off that she has automated gun turrets that come down from the ceiling. So she's telling everyone to basically calm down and things. Now, Afra then leaves the guests and says she'll talk to each of them individually and things. And in the second issue, or rather issue number 10, uh, it does actually go into a fair amount of detail about some of these things. You get to see panels introducing them all. I'm not going to introduce all of them because a lot of them were created for this comic. And it's just kind of more fun if you guys read this and see them for yourself. But I'll delve into that in a moment. So it wouldn't be a Dr. Afra comic read if I didn't read out at least some of arguably the best character's dialogue, which is Triple Zero. Now, Triple Zero, just for clarity, is a refresher. He's basically C-3PO, but if his personality matrix is the Triple Zero personality matrix, which is a complete psychopath, as in genuinely loves nothing more than murdering people, draining human or organics bloods is one of the things he loves to do. And yeah, he's basically a complete psychopath. So basically, imagine C-3PO talking to Dr. Afra. So, let's go for it. So, it starts with triple zero. Is there anyone who needs murdering? It's been a while. And Afra says, This isn't the time, guys. No, Master Afra, it is never the time. Our recent adventures have leaned towards the cerebral rather than the draining of cerebral fluid. Trip, how much more brain fluid do you need? You sawed off the top of Chrysanthemum's head. And that was some time ago. You take the point. All this hanging around, experimenting, and ugh, making things safe. I have to say, I am getting a little bored. Okay, I promise you, after all this is over, we'll sort something out. Hey, maybe even those upgrades we were talking about. But until then, no murder at all. Actually, only on express orders. Understood. I will not murder anyone unless my master explicitly tells me. You got it. And as she says, she walks away. And then Triple Zero sings to himself, Loophole. And then the first thing that Triple Zero does is he contacts his only other master, Darth Vader. 
And he does that because he is 89.43% sure that she plans to deactivate both triple zero and BT1 once all this sort of stuff is over, and that is simply unacceptable. And that's why he contacts Vader. And Vader says, you've disturbed me droids, I hope this warrants my attention. And that's where issue number 9 ends. So issue number 10. So this one is basically Afra going around and meeting all the bidders. So there's a guy called Thomas Tuve. Um, he's like super old. He's like 400 years old. He's a human and he is ridiculously rich. He's richer than basically anyone there. Um, there's also Suther the Hutt and the Sontul Pride Rodians. They decide to put their bids together in, in a way to kind of, you know, try and up their game because they know they can't really compare to some of the other people. Then there's the Kyben Front. Now, the Kyber Front say that technopathy is actually bad and that they want to get the rogue crystal so they can basically get rid of it. And I'm just going to read what they actually say. And just for clarity also, um, the Kyber Front, the um, droids, this one that Afra is talking to, their companion or whatever, was the one that Black Crescenton shot in the face. Uh, so they are now repairing the droid, as is, Afra says is basically part of the hospitality package. So his friend is basically almost ready to be reactivated. And she says to him, so as I'm being kind, I trust the Kyber Front is making an offer worth my time. And the Kyber Front says, we represent various organizations. They wish this artifact destroyed. A droid's position in this galaxy is often marginal. Technopathy would only reduce that. Our financial offer is considerable. All debts for the organizations that I represent would also be settled. And Afra says, but Rare's not just dangerous. You could learn so much to so throw that away. And the droid says, it is not worth the risk. I just want to read that part out because it's quite just interesting. Obviously, droids and things, I think, are going to be a part that if it's not already going to be tackled in the upcoming Disney Plus series called Droids, I feel like they are building to a lot more deeper conversations. Um, the C-3PO comic where he gets his red arm, which I think was like episode seven or something I tackled on the show. Um, it's also in the Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens DLC is like a kind of retelling of the story and it's basically that c-3po kind of questions his own consciousness and things and has quite an interesting interaction with some droids and things so i really recommend you go check out that but yeah the droids sense of self and existence and things and sentience is often something that's kind of spoken about a little bit in the star wars sort of universe i mean one of the biggest examples is in solo a star wars story where l337 she has that interaction you know, with lando quite a lot so i think they are building to something and maybe this droid show is going to be that but i just want to flag that because it's just it's always an interesting thing something that intrigues me in sci-fi quite a lot is the idea of ai having intelligence has it having its own intelligence and things and just a little side thing ex machina excellent film that tackles that sort of thing and it has oscar isaac who obviously plays poe dameron and Donald gleason who plays general hux both of them are two of the main stars in it there's only like a cast of like five um but i really recommend the show x or the film ex machina it is excellent and it tackles the sort of idea of ai consciousness quite cleverly Anyway, so back to the comic. Uh, so after Afra speaks to the Kyber Front, you've got BT-1 and Triple Zero kind of plotting in the background while she's talking to him, and they mention something about, you know, we can go do this now. Then Afra talks to the Azara people, and they're basically really over the top, saying they're going to destroy absolutely everything, and if Afra helps them with this, then she won't be destroyed immediately. Uh, and then Afra's like, okay, I'll think about it, walks away, asks Triple Zero, oh, do the Azara, do they hold, like, the whole planet of Azara? And... Triple Zero says, no, they hold two continents on the planet of Azara. And it's like, ah. So they're kind of like almost like a laughing stock. They're thinking they're going to destroy everything and they just won't. Then Afra talks to the Shadow University and they give her an offer, which is basically just they'll take the crystal, but Afra will be able to study the crystal whenever she wants, as well as being able to study any of the other artifacts that she wants, as well as obviously getting paid for it. The payment won't be as much as a lot of the other people, but, you know, the idea that she can go into the university anytime does appeal. 
And then she says, well, think about it and walks away. She then talks to these Zonti brothers, obviously the ones I mentioned in the uh, Black Chrysanthemum sort of story in the annual. And the Zonti brothers freak out Black Chrysanthemum and Afra asks Tripazura to just shock and incapacitate Black Chrysanthemum just for the time being so he doesn't, you know, murder the Zonti brothers. And they offer Afra a partnership. They talk about the entertainment side of things that, you know, with Ruhr, they could use that to create loads of fighting things with lots of droids and stuff like that as well as making droids that are ridiculously powerful fighting humans and that sort of thing and it's basically a partnership that would not be an immediate amount of money at this moment but over time you would make a lot of money so after all of that Afra kind of has a thing collects everyone all together and things and then basically gives everyone the little like this little device and she clicks a button and everyone's devices has a big big x on it except one person who has a tick on it and that's who she wants to sell it to and the person she wants to sell it to is the Shadow University, so that she can, you know, she gets some money, but also she'll get to view it and things. And as that all happens, Ruhr breaks free. So on to comic 11. So Ruhr is essentially in the fallen droid's body that I mentioned a little while ago, and he's got two lightsabers as well, and he's coming out and starting to attack people. The Azara, those ones who are going mental, saying going to take over the universe, they attack, their attacks get deflected by the lightsabers, one of the Azara gets killed by it, and then they immediately yell, retreat and bail. Chaos starts to happen and things. Afra runs away and then notices that Rudd doesn't have the technopathy that obviously if he was truly free in things, there would be some reason why he wouldn't be using technopathy, but it's most likely that something's kind of stopping him. As she figures it out, she calls Triple Zero and blames him for it. Now, I'm just going to read what Triple Zero says um, once again, because I love reading Triple Zero dialogue. It's a lot of fun, uh, and I'll try not to do too much, because obviously, I, I, it may sound like I read quite a lot of Triple Zero dialogue. I really don't, and if you check out the Afro comics, his dialogue is just gold. So, here we go. I'm sorry, Master Afro. We're a little busy right now, watching all this charming havoc. We've set the guns to auto-target, and then placed the Ruhr Crystal in that droid you fixed up. It seems he's gone on a rampage. Who could have predicted it? And Afro says, turn off the guns. I'm sorry, that won't be possible at this time. It appears that someone has set fire to the gun controls and then attacked them with some manner of axe. It is an unfortunate accident. At least they're not programmed to kill anyone, Master. That would have been against your express orders, and we would never dream of doing such a thing. And she says, okay, cut to the chase. What do you want? We're in your room. Come chat. So Afra tries to kind of find a way back to her room so she can, you know, stop Triple Zero or speak to him, essentially. And Triple Zero speaks to BT1 and says, well, it's, it's lovely. We're not actually bored. And he says, Existence is short, and one should always strive to enjoy it while one can. And BT1 does a little beep, and Triple Zero says, Yes, it is especially short when we're around. What's your point? I thought that was a nice little clever thing as well. So while all the chaos and stuff is happening, Yonak, that the leader of the Sontal Pride, the Rodian, speaks with Sooth of the Heart, and they basically extend their pact and say, Look, let's try and get the Royal Crystal and also Bail, and we'll figure it out when we leave. Then, while Aphra is still sort of running around and things, Black Chrysanthemum grabs her and gets her to head to the armory, uh, because she can access the armory and things. So, she gets into the armory, and they grab some weapons and things. And the weapons they grab is ion weapons. Now, ion specifically is really good against vehicles and also droids. I think it's something to do with it. It works on the circuitry and electricity that things are generally powered by, so ion blasts and whatnot. Afra announces to the guests that there are ion pulse weapons and that sort of thing in the armory, but obviously says, but obviously me telling you all of this tells Ruh exactly where I am. So, you know, see if you can grab a gun from the armory, I'm leaving it open. Afra then runs and is still trying to get to triple zero, and then the droid that Ruh is basically possessed grabs Afra, and then as he's about to, just about to get her, triple zero turns the turrets on Ruh, sort of stopping him for a moment, and he drops her, and then Afra manages to run away and gets to triple zero. And as she gets to triple zero, 
Vader and a group of stormtroopers enter, and Vader says, destroy them all. And that's where that comic ends. So, on to issue number 12. So, Vader enters the, well, space station, the Sorka retreat, whatever you want to call it, in quite dramatic fashion, walking through one of those last sort of Cybern front droids that were about, whose friend basically was the one who got possessed by the Rook Crystal. He's trying to escape, and Vader walks up towards him, and then he just shatters, and Vader walks through the sort of rubble and things. It's a pretty cool shot. And it goes to where Triple Zero is talking with Aphra, and he basically says that Vader is essentially blackmail. He didn't tell Vader that Aphra was going to be here, only of the crystal. So essentially, all Triple Zero wants is for Aphra's control over him gone. Because back in the, I think the first batch of Darth Vader comics in the first arc, when Aphra was first introduced and Triple Zero was, she basically, when entering his personality matrix into a protocol droid and things, she put in certain restrictions on him so that he wouldn't be able to kill Vader or Aphra, and that he would listen to her and his programming forces him to do that so he's asking her to get rid of that so Aphra does get rid of that and I'm just going to read you a little exchange between them and once again the artwork to this is absolutely amazing so I really recommend checking it out so it starts with triple zero well hidden Aphra not master just Aphra free how delightful you were many things Dr. Aphra but you were never disrespectful and rarely boring until we meet again and she says can't we make it a goodbye and he turns to her and says until we meet again. And then Aphra says, Trip, I'm trapped on a space station with a man I'm most afraid of in the entire galaxy and you still find a way to make things creepier. And you hear BT1 beep and Triple Zero says, Yes, she says such sweet things about us and she's still surprised that we let her live. And Aphra says to herself, Learn a lesson, Aphra. This time, learn a lesson. And as she says that, Black Crescentin charges in with an absolutely colossal gun startling her. And basically, he needs Aphra to deactivate those turrets that Triple Zero activated and things, so he can basically take the Zonti brothers' ship. So Aphra sorts that out on things, and then takes Black Crescentint through the dome, uh, which is, you know, that place where it's kind of been in and out of. It's basically just like a nice grassy area and a picnic bench, but and you can see up into space and things. And there's like, you know, a firefight going on there, lots of people and things. And so they go through there. And the Rodian, Yonak, Sutha the Hutt, and then some of the other guests have basically laid a trap. Uh, and they're actually unaware that the Imperials have even come in yet. So Aphra and Black Chrysanthemum basically speak to them a little bit. And then they realize that the guests are going to try and get them. So Aphra and Black Chrysanthemum just run. And then they get near to where the Zonti brothers are. And they see a drinks droid, which is currently walking around trying to offer people drinks and all this havoc. And she has a sort of idea. So she gets the drinks droid to walk in. The drinks droid is immediately shot by whoever's in the area where the Zonti brothers are. And as it collapses, they're kind of looking around trying to figure out what, what just happened. And then Afra calls out to them. And as she's sort of getting the Zonti brothers' attention and things, she then blows an ion pulse, which she had inserted into that drinks droid. The ion pulse startles everyone in the room. And then Black Cassantin goes in there, shoots this creature that is just massive, who's with the Zonti brothers, and then grabs the Zonti brothers, as in one in each arm, puts them over his shoulder, and takes their ship. And then it's sort of mentioned, there's a sort of weird life debt thing that they kind of mentioned. Aphra's about to get on the ship and then she kind of has a think and then decides to be in air quotes good and she wants to go back to the Shadow University's ship and basically wants to try and recover the raw artifact to then be able to take it. Aphra manages to hack into the stormtroopers sort of comm system and things and tells them to go into the dome which is where a lot of people are and while that's sort of going on Ruh kills Tuve which is that 400 year old man and as Ro is about to basically get Aphra, she manages to lure Aphra to where Vader is, and then she hides without Vader seeing her. And that's where that comic ends, so we're on to the final one, issue number 13. 
Now this final comic is excellent, just for the visuals alone. This is going to be the one that probably sounds the weakest with me explaining it, but it looks incredible. So... You've got Ro and Vader basically fighting each other. Ro is obviously this droid with two lightsabers and Vader is Vader. And while this is sort of happening and things, Afro manages to escape once again to that dome and uses Sutha the Hutt as a meat shield. Um, they both manage to get through completely fine. And then Sutha says that they're going to get Afra. And just before it happens, this random shot hits them right in the head and seemingly kills them. And Afra mentions something about a lucky deflection or rather lucky for her, not really for the Hutt. While that's happening, the Rodian Yonak, part of the Sontul Pride, goes to this ship and he sees loads of dead Imperials all around it and is confronted with Triple Zero. Now, once again, I'm going to read the exchange and I want to reiterate, even though towards the start of this, I said, I'm not going to read out that much Triple Zero. I am reading out, it seems like a fair amount of Triple Zero, but the amount of dialogue he actually has is incomparable to the amount I'm reading out. I'm reading out like slight highlights, but it's not even the best parts. But I just feel like this interaction is brilliant. So as I said, Yonak the Rodian, he gets onto the ship and Triple Zero says, We arranged a safe passage for you. I'm Triple Zero. My good friend is BT. We're two droids in need of a new working relationship. And the Rodian says, Well, let's get out of here and we can work out the details. Of course. I'm sure it'll be fine. I do give orders well. Um, take orders? Yes. That's exactly what you'll be doing. So then it goes back to the battle with Ro and Vader. Vader manages to damage Ro's sort of shell and that lets a small amount of his weird consciousness kind of escape and then starts activating all the auto turrets that are nearby. And Ro tries to go into Vader's suit as well. While that's happening, Aphra just kind of mutters to herself, come on Vader, you're better than this, when all the auto turrets start to activate and go crazy. And Vader then manages to basically smash up the body that Rose Crystal is inhibiting the droid, and he also mentions there are certain safeguards in Vader's suit to prevent people taking it over again. And as he's sort of smashing Rose's body and things, he grabs the crystal with the force, and in doing so, it seemingly deactivates the Rose crystal. Avram takes the Shadow Collective ship, and while that happens, Vader seems to sense an infuriating presence, as he puts it, um, but doesn't really do anything further in that regard. Avram manages to escape some sort of blockade that the Imperials have made around the Sorka retreat, and then uses hyperspace and leaves. Now, this is sort of the almost the epilogue sort of thing, so there's just going to be a lot of random sentences, which are just basically where all these characters ended up. So... Afra gives artifacts to the Shadow University and the Museum of Barleth. And really, the Shadow University does come up in the Dr. Afra's second run that's kind of ongoing at the moment, whereas the Museum of Barleth doesn't really seem to have been mentioned elsewhere. And she seemingly has recovered some artifacts, but she gives some of them to the Museum of Barleth and some of them to the Shadow University. So she's on both of their good terms and things and makes some sort. And they each, the sort of curators of them respectively say, oh, it's a shame those other ones were lost, obviously. She gave half to one, half to the other. Then after that, Aphra is laying on a beach with a cocktail on a planet called Zeltros. Now, Zeltros is mentioned in the Dooku Jedi Lost um, audio drama by Kevin Scott. And aside from that, it's not really mentioned in the canon. It is in Legends, and it's in a Legends comic. It's the num Star Wars comic number 73 from 1983. So that's how far back that goes. And there's a few other Legends stuff and things, mainly comics. But yeah, Zeltros is a fairly old planet, considering, you know, when the Star Wars films came out. So it shows you what Black Chrysanthemum's up to, and he's training gladiators in that pit place where he was trained by the Zonti brothers. And then he starts to train the Zonti brothers, and they basically realize what's happening as it's going on. And he's going to force them to go through everything they forced him to go through, which would then, in theory, you know, solve that life debt thing. 
Triple Zero and BT1 are on the planet of Sontul, which is where that Rodian sort of came from. And the Sontul Pride, obviously, they're like a criminal underground organization sort of thing, or a crime family, however you want to frame it. And some raiders break into the place that they're in on Sontul, and they're basically saying, like, you think you could get away with raiding all of our people and that sort of thing? And the Rodian looks at them and goes, help me. And they go, what, what are you talking about? And then suddenly BT-1 opens up and fires missiles and rockets and all kinds of other stuff at them, just wiping all of those raiders out. And Triple Zero says, you're right, BT-1. It is better to let everyone come to us rather than us having to go around and hunt everyone out. And he says that now I believe that this solidifies the pride's hold over the entire sector. And he says, what do you think about that, Yonak? And Yonak's staring with one tear coming down his eye, saying, well done, master. Vader is then on Coruscant and adds the Ruhr Crystal to Palpatine's collection. Now, just in brief, Palpatine basically collects Jedi artifacts and Sith artifacts and all kinds of other stuff, and he hides them away in this vault. They are tackled in sort of other parts. Um, there's the Lando comic that I tackled quite a while ago, and in that, they basically break into, I think, a pleasure yacht, one of the Palpatine's pleasure yachts. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's the Imperialis or Imperialis or something similar to that. I, I tackled it only a few weeks ago. And in there, there's like the Mask of Momin uh, and loads of other Sith artifacts and things. So I'd be really interested to almost have a VR experience and just go and see everything that is in Palpatine's sort of vault and all the crazy stuff in there. So hopefully at one point we'll be able to get all of that. He stole a lot of it from the Jedi Temple after exterminating all the Jedi after Order 66 and things. Plus, he was already had lots of stuff to do with the Sith and things. So it would just be a really cool thing to be able to see in full. In the panel, you see a couple of like smaller things. There was nothing I explicitly recognized, and I'm not going to spend hours trying to work out what those things are. I didn't fully recognize them. So if any of you guys read this comic and you see them and you recognize anything, please let me know because it'd be interesting. And then the sort of final panel of this comic is Afra, as I said, is on Zeltros sort of chilling out and things. And this guy comes up to her and says, you killed Dakon. And as he's basically trying to blame her and say he's going to get her and things, Afra just shoots him immediately. And then she hears uh, more voices and turns. And there's five other people there that say, they killed Dukan and they killed Tukan. We need to get her. And then the final panel of the comic is Afra saying, why does this always happen to me while she's holding a smoking blaster? And that is where this comic ends. I hope you guys had fun with this. Um, the Doctor Alpha comics are always interesting ones because they are kind of hit and miss in some ways. They do weird and wacky things quite a lot. And as we go on through this run, there's more and more peculiar things that kind of crop up in Afra. And I love the fact that Star Wars can be quite weird. And I think I'd rather have a series that takes more risks and things rather than something that is always safe. Like as much as I love the Vader comics and things, I think most of the stuff in them is fairly safe in the realm of you know everyone knows who Darth Vader is so and what he kind of does um although they are brilliant obviously and so from here I've got next week I'm going to be tackling the Age of Rebellion comics so I've already done all of the Age of Republic comics the Age of Rebellion comics are same sort of realm there's three sets of Age of Rebellion Republic and resistance they're all in the various eras of the films and each of them each comic is a one shot about a specific character really so i think there's normally eight comics that are out or maybe there's nine and one of them is normally the special and the special has like three shorter stories in there as well um so i haven't figured out how i'm gonna kind of tackle it i've been doing a few vader things recently so maybe i'll do the vader one shot but i think there's there's one about jabba the heart there's one about tarkin uh, there's also 
one in them sort of special there's one i think about ig88 there's also there's a mini yoda one there's i think one about luke as well uh, boba fett so there's quite a few so i'll figure that out at some point after this is released if anyone wants to message me and say you really want to hear a specific age of rebellion one shot i will do that one if i don't hear from you guys in that specific regard i will just figure it out and see which ones i fancy then after that, I will be continuing the style, main run of Star Wars comics and things. I'm going to be tackling the Ashes of Jeddah arc, which is written by Kieran Gillen, who is the gentleman who has been writing these Doctor Afra comics. And also, he did the first run of Vader comics. And the next run of Afra comics, I think, are the last ones with Kieran Gillen writing them. He does it in partnership with Simon Spurberg, I think it is, or something similar. And then after, I think, issue 19, Simon then takes over the rest of Afra for quite a while. So still lots of Kieran Gillen. He's an excellent writer. And the, the Ashes of Jedi arc is really cool. And just for clarity, it's basically set around some of the characters that you see in Rogue One. Um, and obviously Jeddah is the place that you see in Rogue One that gets um, in part blown up. It's that sort of desert places where Saul Guerrero dies. So it's a really cool arc. I think it's like six comics, so it's fairly chunky. But that's what I'm going to be tackling in two weeks' time. So next week is Age of Rebellion, or some of them. The week after that is the next batch of Star Wars main run comics with the Jedi arc. After that is going to be another mini series. I think I'm going to tackle the TIE Fighter ones, I think. Uh, and then after that, I will be back on the next run of Afro Comics and things. And then I think the only other miniseries that springs to mind that I have not tackled, aside from the TIE Fighter comics, is the Target Vader comics. So once I've done that, what I will probably end up doing is then going on to the Darth Vader comics as in the second run done by Charles Saul. And then what you guys will have is one week could be Star Wars, one week could be Darth Vader, one week could be Dr. Aphra, and then one week could be the Age of Rebellion stuff. And I'll kind of keep going like that for a little while. There are new comics out at the moment. There's the Bounty Hunters comic. There's the second run of Aphra, the third run of Vader, the second run of Star Wars, the first run of Bounty Hunters. Um, so I will be tackling, and obviously the High Republic comics as well, which I'll be tackling. So what I'll be basically doing is once we get a, in a couple months time, once I've kind of done all the mini series, I'll then maybe start tackling some of the newer arcs and things of some of the comics. I know when the first arc of the High Republic comics are done, I want to tackle that. And I also want to have read the Light of the Jedi book, which I'm about a third through at the moment. So they're the general things you can kind of expect going forward. I'm also trying to get another interview with a Star Wars author sorted, which may not happen for another couple months. I'm hoping it will still go ahead and things, but we need to organize the time for that. So lots of reasons to say subscribe to the Comics Emotion feed, not just because of this show, but also because of all the other amazing shows as well. And I recently guested on Indie Comics Spotlight, tackling The Lone Ranger, uh, Mandatory Marvel and DC, and tackled Death of the Family. Um, I've been on the 20th Century Geek podcast recently, and it's a part one of a three-part Batman retrospective where me, Megan, and Scott all talk about Batman 66, Batman 89, and Batman Returns. And then part two is going to be the two Joel Schumacher films and Mask of the Phantasm. And then part three is going to be the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, so they'll be coming out over the next few weeks as well. I've also recently been on the Ragbag podcast. I think the latest episode, I can't remember what it's called, but about 16 minutes or so through I end up being on there for some amount of time I haven't yet listened to it and I can't I, we recorded it before Christmas so I'm a little bit hazy and I've done loads of guest spots as well and then on top of that there is also WandaVision which should be out 
After this has been released, I think it'll be out tomorrow or maybe the day after. So on the feed of Comics in Motion, any MCU fans know obviously WandaVision's out on the Disney Plus and they're releasing one episode a week. Episode four is out as of me recording this specific part because I'm recording this on Friday 29th. And I will be on there potentially with Megan, but with Matt from Jasper Reviews, who is also part of What's the Topic, which is another great show on this feed. And we're going to be talking about the fourth episode of WandaVision and some thoughts there. And we're doing that weekly. So it's not just me and Matt. We've kind of been not dissimilar to what it was when we did the Mandalorian specials and the Mandalorian was coming out. And every week we have like a couple of different hosts on there talking about stuff. We're doing the same thing for WandaVision Weekly, so make sure you subscribe for that. And last of all, make sure you subscribe to my other podcast, Genuine Chit Chat, where I have interviews with people who I deem interesting. And the one coming out tomorrow, or at least part one of the one I'm coming out tomorrow, is superheroes for dummies so i've got paul and dan of superheroes for dummies we did a long it's like an hour and 40 minute long chat so i'm splitting it in two halves and i'll be releasing part one of that out and we just talk about comic books and getting into it and starting the podcast and all that sort of other jazz so if you want to know more about the air quotes dummies of the superheroes for dummies podcast then you can make sure you check out genuine chit chat because you'll be able to hear more information about them there but that's really it for me guys find me on social media at genuine chit chat um i post pictures of the comics and things as i said i've taken photos of these afro comics there's some really really cool panels so on instagram and on facebook you'll be able to see them in all their glory and i also post other stuff on there as well i try and post every day on instagram um but it is difficult sometimes but i post about all the guest spots and things that i go on all my new episodes there's snippets of genuine chit chat like 30 seconds to like a minute long sort of little snippets of things so you can kind of see if it sounds like the kind of show that you'd want to tune into and listen to and there's also I occasionally do on my story I post quite a lot normally videos of my tortoise or food or if I'm watching films and things which I do semi-regularly I post it on there as well so if you want a little bit of more information in my of my life as well as listening to me on this show the other shows I've recently been on and also genuine chit chat follow me on social media anyway guys enough from me please review comics and motion on itunes or apple podcasts or wherever the hell you listen to this thing i appreciate each and every one of you i'll talk to you next saturday and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.